This is uh, John 15, 12 through 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friend. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Man, thanks, Bonnie. Um, as we began last week, we started a series called Who We Are, and we're looking at some of the different connections, um, just really a great series that we can dive into some different ways that we experience relationship with one another. Last week, we looked at relationship with God. Uh, it's on the website. Actually, the new website is uploaded as well. If you haven't seen that yet, it looks our team has done a great job. But you can also catch up with messages you might have missed. But we're looking at different layers of how God connects us. And today, we're going to look specifically, as, I, as we introed with the children, looking at the idea of friends. And what does um, a biblical picture and understanding of this nature of friends, what does it mean? And I think most people, most people, probably most of us, we would acknowledge that friendship is important. We would say you need healthy friendships in, in a society, and we need that in our lives personally as well. I haven't met too many people who say, yeah, I don't want friends, I don't need it. Usually, if we dig enough, anyone who says that, it's, it's probably they've had some really bad experience with friendships. Usually. But what, regardless, what, whether our experience has been positive or negative, uh, what I want to suggest today is that friends, that it's a critical component of really knowing ourselves. That if, we are, if our desire is to grow in maturity, to know God more, we need to have friends. That if our desire is for a growing deeper spiritual maturity, growing closer in communion with God, it will require the involvement of friends in some form. And that might look different for all of us, but it will require the involvement of friends. And I I know that even as I use that word friends, I mean, a, a room this big, this many people, I'm sure there's a lot of different definitions or concepts of even what, what do you mean by friend? And, and the ancient philosopher Aristotle, I, I thought this was helpful. He listed three, um, identifying three different types of friendships. One, he said that there are some friendships that are based on utility. They're based on utility. What that means is that friendship is basically good for me. It's useful for me because at this season in life, it does something for me. So what, what you often observe, friendships that are based on utility, um, most times is that when the reason for that friendship disappears, often the friendship disappears. Like there's a reason why you're connected with people. So there's utility. Another type of friendship he listed was friendships that are based on pleasure. Uh, that a friendship based on pleasure, it's, it's usually dictated by the feelings that you get from being with that person or those people. Um, it makes you feel good. I mean, and that's not a bad thing. It brings you pleasure. And it's usually associated when we're, when we're younger. I mean, and the younger you go, the more it's based on, I mean, people that make me feel good, people who are nice to me, people who I like being around, people who don't steal my toys. And as we get older, hopefully that becomes less and less of the motive, but, but it's still there. But with this kind of friendship that's based on pleasure, often as your tastes change 
as your preferences morph, sometimes the friendships might go up and down based on that. A third type of friendship he talks about is one based on goodness. Friendship based on goodness. And it's a friendship where, at its supreme level, people desire the best for each other. A friend would desire good for their friend. And he would call this the true friendship. He would say this is the highest form of true friendship. And obviously, our our goal here, it's probably more in line with number three there, that we want the kind of friendships that as we explore growing closer with God, like, like we looked at last week, we talked about a friendship with God, a relationship with God. The essence of that relationship is love. It's birthed out of and it grows through love that if you and I, if, if we grow in the love of God, it will profoundly transform who we are. If that, if we grow in the knowledge of how much God loves us and what it means to love him back, that will profoundly impact, change, transform who we are. And when we use the word transform here, we're not merely talking about behavior modification. So for us, transform, it's part of it. Part of tr- transformation is we look different on the outside, but, but we're always hungering for that deeper part of it. That transformation means the, the inner parts of our soul start to actually change. The stuff that maybe people don't even see, that starts to change. Our motives and our intent and our desires. And that's the kind of transformation that comes with knowing God and his love. So a growing relationship with God, it will show itself in our innermost parts And this transformation, maybe a way we can say it, it it exhibits itself in our character. Our character starts to change when we experience God like this. So let me put it before you this way, and, and you can think about this. You can assess my character by the kind of friend that I am. I will suggest one of the best ways you can evaluate one another's character, my character, what kind of friend am I, or maybe another way to put it, the closer I grow to God the better friend I will be. The closer I go, grow to God, the better friend I'll be. Um, and, and I think that's why when you look into scriptures, you look in the Bible and you look at how the Bible speaks about this idea of, of getting closer to God, knowing him more, it stresses the importance of friends. It, it really talks about the importance of friends. I want to look at a few passages from uh, starting here, Proverbs chapter 27, 9, and it's, it's up on the screen. And just a lot of wisdom, obviously, in the book of Proverbs, and we want to look at some different things here. Verse 9 and 27 says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Um, when you hear oil and perfume, it might not mean that much to you, like at least what they mean by here. Um, let me start with this. If you've ever gone to like a fairly decent Chinese restaurant, and you go there, before you get your food, I mean, you get those little crispy crackers, right? Before you get your food, they bring out this big steaming plate with towels on it. I love that, right? And, and my family gets a little embarrassed because I like get all in my business with that, right? All over. You're supposed to just do your hands, right? But I use it as like a, you know, mini bath. But, but the purpose of it is to cleanse yourself, right? To prepare yourself for this meal that you're going to enjoy. If you can think about it that way, when they're talking oil and perfume here, in the days of this writing, with a luxurious banquet, the host would bring out um, oil and perfume, perfumed oils as a luxury to the guests, to prepare themselves, to get ready. So it's describing a very luxurious, good thing. 
with the oil on the face and just the smell of this rich incense throughout the room. It's a good thing. It's a luxurious thing. So what the Proverbs doing, it's giving us that as a point of comparison. It's saying as precious as those things are, as you think about oil and perfume and just the luxury, as precious as those things are, how much more valuable is a true friend? It's rare. It's precious. And it's not something to be treated flippantly when we consider friendships. And I love that phrasing, sweetness of a friend. Sweetness of a friend. Um, we've got to think differently when it's talking about a sweet friend here. Because probably some of you, if, if it's, I mean, not to be sexist, but if you're a dude and someone would describe your friendship with another guy, say, yo, that's such a sweet relationship and friendship you have. You're like, yo, that's fighting words. I, I, I don't want to. It's not talking about that kind of sweet or that kind of sweet. It's, it's in the day that the proverb was written, the only sweet foods that you had were those foods that were inherently sweet, that were intrinsically by their nature sweet because there was no added sugar that you gave to somebody or you didn't put in Splenda to kind of artificially sweeten your food. It, it was intrinsically by its nature sweet. So what it's saying here is that the friendship described here is intrinsically sweet, that the friendship, it's beautiful. And thus, it's something to be valued. It's something to hold in high accord. It describes the kind of friend who doesn't just exist to make you feel good in, in and of itself. Because why? Why? The friend is sweet, you see here, because of the counsel you receive. This kind of friendship is sweet. It's valuable because they give you good counsel. Um, I like looking at different translations of, of the stuff I study. Another translation I saw was the sweetness of a friend more than your counsel. I like that because it's saying that this kind of friendship, it deepens your love for God. It, it, it impacts your character because someone is bringing counsel that you wouldn't have of yourself. They're speaking into things that we've all got like blinders, right? Blind spots. They're speaking in things that you would not know yourself and that's why it's sweet. Maybe it's encouragement, affection. Uh, um, they, they have an appropriate, timely word for you of wisdom. And maybe a way we could describe it is the kind of friendship that's a profound meaning of mind and heart. Like mind, information, wisdom, and heart, affection, bringing those together, that kind of friendship. Um, the, it's what the 19th century author, Ralph Waldo Emerson, he, he wrote and described an essay on friendship. And he, he described friendship requiring two indispensable elements, truth and tenderness. The Emerson said, for a true friendship, you need this collision of truth and tenderness. That, that when a connection has been made with another person, when you've connected with another person, that you nurture it with truth and tenderness together. It, it's a meeting of the mind and the heart. And this leads to a deepening relationship. So guys, if we're seeing friendship as a gift that God gives um, so that we could have people who speak truth and tenderness into our lives so that we might know God more, I think wisdom would have us exercise great discernment in who we allowed to speak into our lives. I think that's a natural outflow. If, if friends are a gift that God gives to speak truth and tenderness into our lives so that we might know God more, we need to ask, who are we allowing to speak into our lives then? Who are our friends? Um, 
Some of you are probably like this. Now, I know I'm like this at times, but we kind of have this idea. No one has formed me. I'm a blank slate and I found my way in the world. I define who I am. No one defines me. Don't give me a label. Like we're, we're like very independent that way. Um, but that's kind of a myth of this self-made individual. Because the reality for every single one of us, um, we have been formed by our background, um, our experiences, as well as our upbringing. And it doesn't mean that's all that will ever define you, but it's a significant aspect of who you are, who's influenced you in your life. And obviously, this starts with your family of origin. You know, it obviously starts with probably your parents or parental figures, siblings. Um, but our character, it's also shaped in many ways by the friends who've spoken into our lives. Our friendships also have helped to shape who we are. And as the Bible speaks about knowing God, God calls us to great discernment in who we allow to be in our lives to help mold us. The Bible calls us to great discernment in asking, who are we letting shape us? One verse from Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26, speaking on this, it says, One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. And one commentator talking about this, I I think he boils down. He says, this proverb admonishes extreme caution in choosing a friend because living in the context of wickedness leads us away from path of life into that of death. In layman's terms, it's saying some people are going to help you be more righteous. Some people are going to help you be more jacked up. (laughs) That's what it's saying. It's saying choose the people who speak into your lives because people will influence you in one way or another. An example of that can be seen in another proverb, uh, Proverbs twenty two twenty four. It says, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man. And let's be honest, some of us, we got anger issues. Some of us, you are just an angry person, right? Whether it's people with 16 items in the 15-item grocery line or someone who cuts you off on 95 and don't use their turn signal. Some of us are just angry. Some of you are angry because whatever. But but what this is saying is that sometimes we're angry because we're with angry people. What this is saying is that um, sometimes a bad attitude towards life and people It's contagious and it's deadly. That the people who we walk with, the people who speak into our lives, they will influence us. It can be for our good, but can also be for our detriment. So do a little bit of self-analysis here right now. Ask yourself, are the people in your life helping you to draw closer to God? Just think about your friends. Do the friends in my life Do they help me to draw closer to God when I'm with them? Or is their influence actually causing me to draw away from God? Those are hard questions. Because you're going to find that some of the people that you would say are closest to in your life, wow, they actually kind of push me away from God. Maybe it's not that helpful. I want to be, I want to be really crystal clear here because some of you, if you're tracking with me, you might be thinking, now, Holmes, does this mean then, um, are, does this mean I should separate myself fully from anyone who doesn't know God? Because I thought you're up there every week getting all excited about we need to reach like, people in darkness and love. Um, isn't that going to require me hanging out with people who are like maybe not so close with God? 
I, I don't get it. And this is why we have to read a totality of scripture. Because yes, if we're not interacting, if we're not spending our life, if we're not immersing ourselves in places of darkness, we're called to be salt and light. We're called to influence. Yes, yes, yes. I, I want to affirm that till I have no breath left. Yes, we need to do that. The point is definitely not to cut ourselves off from those who don't know God. But here's the point, guys. It's not to cut ourselves off, but rather the more relationships you have like that, that much more it's affirming we need friendships who will cultivate our affection for God. Like that much more as you're in places that are not of God, that much more we need voices from God that will speak us to this path of righteousness. In some ways, I think it's, it's just some, sometimes it's just simply a matter of humility. It's, it's Dan Hyun acknowledging that I have my weaknesses. It's Dan acknowledging I can be very easily influenced by others. I don't like to admit that, but I can be. I have the propensity to be influenced by those who I interact with. I can very easily be shaped by them for good or for bad. And if I want to be a wise person, if I recognize that's who I am, I need some people in my life who will help shape me for good. Because I've got plenty of people who are not shaping me for good. This is really countercultural. I mean, this is really countercultural. Because what it means is that a biblical understanding of friendship, it may look far different than what the world values in a friend. Biblical friends, as we've seen, they're a precious jewel. It's a precious jewel. And, and here's the thing. Some of you who've dabbled in jewelry before, right? When you have precious jewels, and the more precious you get, you get a lot of counterfeits. The more precious jewels you have, there's a big market for counterfeits that kind of look like the real thing, but you dig deep enough and you look at all the C's. Oh, there's, there's, there's not much clarity there. There's not much cut. Some of you know what I'm talking about, the four C's. Um, when you have precious jewels, you need to learn to sniff out what's a counterfeit. And some Proverbs speak about that when it comes to friendships. Uh, Proverbs 19.4. It says, wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Simple. I mean, some of you who've seen Trading Places, right? Old Eddie Murphy, it's Trading Places. When you don't got much, you don't have many friends, you suddenly got a lot. Wow, you got all these friends you never knew existed. On the converse, oh, I used to have a lot of friends when I had a lot. Oh, I lost everything. Where's all my friends? Very practical stuff here. Proverbs 19.6, kind of similar. Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. Some of y'all think that you're a really popular person. It's because you give stuff to people. That's what it's saying here. Some of y'all think you're a great friend or you got great friends. No, it's actually you give away a lot of stuff. So of course people want to be your friend. Proverbs 14.20. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Same idea here, right? What it's basically saying, Proverbs teaches over and over, you need to learn to recognize counterfeits because not everyone that says they're your friend is really out for your well-being. Not every person who says they love you even or that they care for you is actually wanting to help you get closer to God. If anything, some of their words are, are, are sound really good, some of their intents sound really good, but it's actually the worst thing for you because it's telling you to get away from God. Because what we see is that a true friend is someone who takes your spiritual maturity and character seriously. It's like what Proverbs chapter 27 verse 6 says. 
Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. This is like one of those fortune cookie type prophets, right? You look at it and you're like, wow, what the heck does that mean? I mean, it's saying that some people, they're going to look like they're wounding you. They're going to look like they're harming you. They're, you're gonna, it's going to feel like you're getting cut. But that's actually a friend. And some people are going to kiss you and make you feel really affectionate and warm. And they're just building up something so they can harm you later. I mean, that's, that's what it's saying here. A true friend is someone who looks like they might be hurting you on the present. But it's not wounding you for the sake of permanently harming you. It's for your well-being. It's for healing. It's like surgery. And, and this is one of the crazy things about the gospel. What it says is, we actually need those kind of friends. We need those kind of wounds. Uh, uh, and be careful. I'm not saying codependent relationships. Abusive. I'm not saying abuse. I'm not saying that. I'm saying people who love you. Who care for you. They're not wounding you physically. But sometimes they're going to say some stuff that gets into your deeper character that no one else who gives a darn about you will say because they love you because we need people who love us enough that they're going to rebuke us they're going to challenge us mr friend we saw that we described earlier in uh, proverbs 27 9 oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel because guys and you probably recognize our default mode is self our default mode is self Without the presence of God in my life, I would not give a, I gotta keep the kid, I would not give a darn about any of you here. I'm uh, just being honest. When survival mode kicks in, I need to protect myself. I think about me. That's our default mode. Without friends, our world shrinks and shrivels down to us. And, and without friends to love and challenge us in truth and tenderness, we become less than what we were made to be because we are made in the grand image of God and God is one who shares himself and loves even his enemies. That's who we're made in the image of and, and without friends, we will go to our default mode where it becomes all about the world of us. So, I mean, we believe, well, I don't know if you believe, I believe that this is true. We need friends like this. So, I mean, maybe one of the best things that we could do is just stand up and you're saying, guys, we need to put this into action. So we're going to stand up. You're going to go to someone in this room and you're going to find out some of the ways that they are really sinning and probably it's the things that annoy you and you're going to tell them about it because you really love them. Let's not be superficial here. Let's not be a shallow church. Let's get deep and real and, and, and let's wound one another. Come on, for the love of God. Um, I mean, what would happen is you'd all stand up and you'd all leave, first of all. Um, and if someone did come to you, right, maybe they just take the preacher seriously. If they did come to you and you don't know them and they start listing off their sins they've observed from across the room, you're going to like throw like a communion cracker at their head. You're like, you don't know me. <laughs> who, who gave you the right to speak like that into my life? I, 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 I don't want that from you. We don't have that kind of relationship. And I think that's real. And, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, Pastor Larry talked about community groups. We... Community groups are not like this magic, oh, community groups, automatic community and love and friendship and deep relationship. And it's not that. It's not. But what it is, it's providing a structure that you can get into with a little bit of a smaller group of people. And, and again, not automatically assuming that's what leads to friendships, but it's a place where you can have a much more possible venue than this. 
as great as this is. This is more like a bigger picture, but we need to be in some places where we start to know some people and some people know us so that we can have, as God leads, maybe some of those conversations. Hey, we need to talk about some of our sin because it's probably not going to happen here. And, and I know some of us are really organic, and I'm, I'm kind of organic too. Not so much food, but life. Um, <laughs> give me my non-organic cheap food, right? Um, I mean, we love organic. We want things to kind of just happen on their own, and I believe that too. There's got to be a sense of connectedness that we can't, like, orchestrate. But sometimes, and this is a cross-cultural thing, sometimes if we're not careful, organic just means we just stick to who we know. Organic means we don't really cross boundaries because, oh, it's not natural, Sometimes cross-cultural means, you know, we need some structures to put us in a room together with people we might not normally be with so that we can get to know each other and build layers of trust and maybe God opens a door for us to start to have those kind of relationships. And I say, as I say all this, some of you who are really practical or maybe you're, you're, um, you're not like head in the sky kind of things, you're like, man, this is a really lofty hope for friends and friendships. This is really like idealistic, very, very great for a sermon. I don't know how this will live out. I mean, it's really a lot to put on another person, right? Do you think about that? It's really a lot to put on another individual to say, your friendship is going to be what leads me to know the knowledge of the everlasting living creator God more. Like, heck no, I don't want that. (laughs) And maybe that's why some of us are cynical when it comes to even talking about friendships or relationships. Maybe some of us Maybe you've actually tried. The reason you're cynical is you've tried and you found it lacking. And it's kind of, we're not allowed to talk like that in church, but you've actually tried all the things they tell you to have deeper relationships. You're like, well, I did it. It's, eh, it's kind of lacking. I invested myself, but people didn't really pay back. It wasn't really worth my time, I don't think, in the long run. And, and Emerson, we quoted him earlier. He, he said this in his work on friendship. I think he really captured some thoughts. He said, the higher the style we demand of friendship, of course, the less easy to establish it with flesh and blood. We walk alone in the world. Friends such as we desire are dreams and fables. Wow. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of pessimistic, but it's kind of real too, right? He's saying, you know, this lofty idea of friends and people who like would journey with you I mean, it sounds so great, but the reality is in in a world of flesh and blood, it it won't happen. That's like a story someone writes. It's it's fiction. And and probably some of you can resonate with that, right? Like even when we hear sermons or teaching about these kind of things, you're like, yeah, that sounds so idealistic. I don't think that's the real real case, though. Um, Man, preparing this message is, is really personal for me, talking about friends. Because I, I don't, again, I don't know everyone's story in here. Friendship for me is not the most natural rhythm of life. It's kind of actually, I, I don't know if I always know how to best do friendships, especially in kind of a Christian setting. It's still kind of a new thing for me. And in the midst of preparing, I had this like memory pop up, like crazy kind of memory. I remember when I was like little and, and we were in Chicago at the time and I must have been like two or three, like really little, and we lived in Chicago, and my parents are very protective, so I never go outside the house unless I'm with them, like no play dates or anything, 
And then I don't remember this, but they tell me, so I'm, I have no reason to trust that they would tell me lies about when I was a kid. But they said I used to stand up at the window of, of the house and just like yell out to people walking by big kids in Korean, hey, hey, can we play together? Like I would just do that, like so wanting to play with the people who look like they're having fun out there. And, and what I recognize is that I think much of my life, it's been kind of the same pattern. And of course, we, as we get older, we're not going to say, oh, I need people because you just sound needy and no one wants to sound needy. But it's like we go through life and, and it's, it looks different for everyone, but we kind of have this thing. I just want someone who's going to acknowledge me. Man, I wish there were just, I don't even need a whole room. I just want like one person who's going to say they care about me. They want to walk with me. They don't want to just hang out in good times, but they'll hang out in bad times too. Man, I wish I could just have even like a, a one, one friend who's, who actually understands me, who gets me. Who we can sit in a room and not even have to say anything. We just kind of know each other. And, and maybe you identify with that. That this idea of longing for this kind of friend. What do we do? Do we do the Emerson thing and say, well, this is life. Buck up. Suck it up. Or we consider the words of Christ as he talked about friends. As our brother Monty read, let me read that again, a few of the verses from John 15. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. Let me stop there. Guys, verse 15 there, when Jesus declares, as he's telling us, I don't call you servants anymore. And let's be honest, that's a much more appropriate term for them. He's God. They are not. All rights say that they should be servants and he should be able to call them servants and have no, um, no need to apologize. But he says, I don't call you servants any longer. Now I call you friends. And if you trace this back to the Old Testament, this is a really rare thing that Jesus said here in the Old Testament. The only person who was like outright called a friend of God was Abraham. And by implication, Moses. It's a really rare thing to be called a friend of God. And what Jesus is now saying is, now, if you follow me and if you obediently are my father, now you are my friend. Now we're close. Now we've got this relationship. And guys, when we know Jesus, we see a breathtaking portrait of a friend. And maybe for some of you who struggled with friendships in your life, and maybe you felt like you've been lacking in that, I'm not doing a Jesus juke and saying, I know you're lonely on a Friday night, but Jesus can be that boyfriend you really desire. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, though, if we consider the nature of who God is, that when Jesus talks about he's our friends, he's not about talking about it. He's, he's, he's about putting into action. He, he's a Jesus who will say, in your deepest joys, I'm there to celebrate with you. Because you're living out what you're supposed to be. In your deepest sorrows, I know what sorrow is. And I will be with you in the pit. In the time of loss, I know that. And I'm a friend who will walk with you through that because I understand. When you are broken, I will heal you. And I don't heal you from far away. I wrap you in my arms and hold you tight. 
When you struggle with being alone, though no one else might be there, I am there with you. Jesus is a friend to sinners. Because what he ultimately says is, you know, in the verse we didn't read, he says, I chose you, you didn't choose me. He's our friend when we do absolutely nothing to deserve it. When we actually are contrary to what a good friend should be. When, because if you treated a friend the way that we often have treated God, you wouldn't have that friend for much longer. Or it would be a dysfunctional relationship. Because it's a friend who doesn't call you back. It's the one that you pay for everything and they never offer to pay. It's like that kind of friend. Some of us have had those. We're like, okay, well, I've paid like six times in a row and they haven't even reached for the bill. Jesus took all of us who never reached for a bill. He said, I got this. I got this for all time. I'm paying it. Sealed and delivered. That's Christ. How through this thing called a cross, where he ultimately gave his life, as he describes here, that for a greater love has no one this, does someone lay down his life for his who? Friends. Jesus saying, if you're my friends, I lay down my life for you. And when we, when we know Jesus, we see a breathtaking portrait of a friend. And Jesus' friendship with us, it ultimately leads him to the cross where the Godhead, God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, his own friendship encapsulated in this thing called a trinity, it was ruptured. Have you ever had a broken relationship? It hurts. It bites. It stings. Some of you are still processing through a broken relationship. Jesus, in some sense, experienced the rupturing of that beautiful friendship called the Trinity on this thing called a cross. Why? So that our friendship with God could be restored. It's a friendship where Jesus then, he calls us to repentance. He calls us to come and humbly acknowledge that we have not been the friend we should have been to God. And the friend we should be to others. And guys, this is where it brings freedom. Because, again, taking it back to my little story there. What I recognize in my life, I was always searching for that friend who would love me. I was pretty needy. <laughs> I was, like, looking for that. And I would look, and I wouldn't, like, point to people and ask, are you that friend? I'm not, I'm not weird. But, like, I would be scanning. Maybe there's that person out there that they will complete what I've been lacking, longing for. But what I've discovered in Christ is when I understand that there's a God who knows me, fully knows me, even all the junk, and he said, you're mine. You're my friend. You belong to me. I adopted you. I've made you mine. No one's going to take that away. There's a sense of longing that's been fulfilled. There is a sense that I, I, I've got someone who knows me. And that brings a sense of freedom. Because I no longer have to be looking for those who are going to fulfill that kind of friendship that I'm longing for. Now, because all I know all I have is in Christ, I'm free to now go to others and do that. And here's the thing. It's amazing. Because we're all looking for that, right? That's why some of us get really upset in church because we feel like we're not getting that. But when we start to believe the gospel, when we start to believe that we're truly a friend of Christ and we're completing that, now we don't have to look for it anymore. So we're free to go to others and we can be that friend. And it becomes a cycle because when you do that with others, everyone starts to participate. And some people don't and they leave. It's okay. But we start to live that out together. And, And that's my hope for us here as well. That Jesus helps us to not just seek a friend like that, but as we turn from ourself, we are transformed to be that friend to someone else. Amen? Stand with me. Um, let's, let's respond right now in song and in the Lord's Supper.